Tom is up here rapping. Did you guys hear Catch I was counting the counting all the rhymes. Yeah, that's awesome. We love Tom. And I uh, love being here. If, uh, if we haven't met, my name is Carlos, and uh, just, just an honor to be on this team. And this morning, I have the privilege of ending a conversation that we've been having over the last three weeks. Uh, it's a series that we call I Have Questions. And in this series, we essentially have been looking at moments in the life of the resurrected Jesus where he encountered his disciples. And naturally, given the circumstances, we've, we see that the disciples had questions. And we love that because that makes us like, that, that makes them like us. I don't know about you, but I have a lot of questions. And so to be able to study that and see how we can apply their situation to our lives is always of encouragement. If you missed last week, then um, I want to encourage you to go back and watch, uh, listen to the message that Natalia preached. One of the stories that she shared was her adventures of, of her and Braden buying a new home. And uh, I want to begin there because I want to let you know um, that Ilsen and I also, within the last year, bought our own home. Yes. Um, and we had no problems with our siding, but there were problems with my driving. And so uh, I want to just share a little bit about why that was, because it was move-in day, and I had my U-Haul truck, and we were doing our first trip, and we were driving up our street, and in passenger side was James McGrew, so shout out to James if he's in the room, but James is right there. He's our sound guy, youth guy. He's just awesome. Can we celebrate, James? Yeah. James also was helping me move that day, so one of the many things that his resume will present. Um, and he was, he was in the car, and it just happens that we were driving down this street, and his mom was driving in the opposite direction. And what do you do when your mom uh, is, is uh, in the picture? You get excited, right? And so I was the one excited, and I was telling James, James, your mom's right there. And in my excitement, I did not realize that I was driving too close to the sidewalk. <laughs> and also, uh, unaware... I began to drive close enough to the sidewalk where I then, with my U-Haul, not my U-Haul, <laughs> with the U-Haul, I hit my neighbor's portable basketball court, tipped it over, and cracked a big chunk of the backboard. And that was my introduction to the neighborhood. <laughs> so as soon as I could, I parked the U-Haul, I went over the walk of shame, knocked on this neighbor's door. I'd never met anyone there before. I knocked on their door and I introduced myself. I said, I'm Carlos, I'm your new neighbor, and I owe you a basketball court. <laughs> That's what it was. And so they kindly agreed uh, for me to replace it. And I said more than once, I am going to replace this court because that was my wrong. Well, guess what happened? Days passed maybe weeks, and every time I drove past that basketball court with the crack on it, it reminded me of this moment and how my words weren't aligning with my actions. And what that began to stir in me was really a question, a question that ruminated and came often, and the question was this, how does my neighbor feel about me? <laughs> Have you ever had that question? about a situation where you knew that there's, there's some tension in the relationship, some awkwardness, 
and you wonder, how do they feel about me now? Well, that's the question um, that I believe is happening in today's story, uh, because we're going to be picking up on what Natalia shared last week, which was John 21. And if you're not familiar with the story, I want to give you a quick recap. In John 21, we have the disciples, uh, post-resurrection of Jesus, they've decided to go fishing, and they're fishing in the Sea of Galilee. They fish all night. They've caught nothing, and all of a sudden, a stranger tells them to throw their net on the other side of the boat. And what happens? They, they catch a whole bunch of fish, right? And the, uh, the author of, of John makes sure to say that they were big fish, and there were 153 fish in the net. The net did not break, and this was a miraculous moment that caused the disciples to realize that the person on the shore was not a stranger it was Jesus, and they rush over. Peter first, they rush over, and what does Jesus do for them? He serves them breakfast. He serves them breakfast. He has, he has fish on the grill. He asks them to contribute to the meal, and that's where we pick up in the story. In John 21, 15, it says this, after breakfast. Everyone say those two words, after breakfast breakfast. As I studied this, I paused there because I realized enough time had passed for these eight men to share a meal. And I'm going to guess, based on my study of Jesus and his demeanor and just the way he lived his life, is that he took his time when he ate. Would you agree with me? He's not like me. For some reason, I think it's CrossFit when I eat. I feel like I got to do it in the least amount of time possible. But I believe that Jesus took his time. I believe that this was a quiet, uh, you know, slow morning. And here were, can you imagine, these seven men having a meal with a person they believed was once dead. And I'm asking myself, what was this conversation like? We don't have any details. The only detail they give us is that they did not dare ask him who he was. That's the only detail they give us. But an entire meal was eaten before this point. So was it awkward silence? Was it um, giddy laughter when someone said, hey, Jesus, can you patch, pass the ketchup? <laughs> right? Or was there just that nervous chit-chat, you know, with just the random questions like, hey, what kind of seasoning did you use on this fish, Jesus? This is really good, just to break the ice. But more than just the group, I began to ask myself, what might have Peter been thinking this entire time? Was this enough time for Peter to be in, in his head about the things that had transpired from the garden to this breakfast on the beach? Was pre Peter bringing to memory how he had fallen asleep at the garden after Jesus had asked him multiple times to stay awake and pray? Was Peter remembering the decision to cut off the soldier's ear and then Jesus' decision to reattach it? Or probably the most significant or the one that probably hit the hardest was Jesus, or Peter remembering how he was the one that proclaimed that he would not fall away from Jesus like the others 
when moments later he fell away from Jesus and denied him three times? Was Jesus thinking about how his words did not match? I'm sorry, was Peter thinking about how his words did not match his actions? And so could it be that Peter's biggest question, if he would dare ask it at this meal, was this, Jesus, how do you feel about me now? Have you ever had that question? Have you ever wondered this bigger question that's this, how does God feel about me? How does God feel about me after doing that? Worse than breaking a backboard. Or after saying that, those hurtful words, intentional in cutting and hurting How does Jesus feel after I participated in that, after I went there, I watched that, I thought that, or I desired that? How does Jesus feel about me now? Well, we cannot get in Peter's head in that moment, but here's what we do know, and here's the fact. This is beyond wondering because we have it written. Jesus begins to direct the conversation with questions of his own. And so Jesus takes charge after breakfast. And this is what he says. He asks Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Notice the question. Do you love me more than these? There are a few explanations as to what is Jesus referring to when he said these. The first one is These disciples, these that have just shared a meal with us, do you love me more than they do? Could Jesus had started there given the fact that it was Peter who proclaimed very proudly that he would not disown Jesus? Why? Because certainly he loved them more than the others, or he loved him more than the others. And so could it be that Jesus is kindly asking Peter to reconsider his claims. Like, Peter, do you still feel like you love me more than the rest of the disciples? Ouch. That would be a tough question, right, to answer. Or others have said that what, what, what Jesus is referring to when he said these was the fishing equipment, the boat and the nets that as they began to walk away from this breakfast, that Jesus would look at that fishing equipment and say, do you love me more than these? Meaning, do you love me more than this thing that you are good at? This career, this livelihood, this set of skills that bring you security. Are you considering your love towards these things greater than your love towards me? Do you see that? Well, Those things could be up for debate, but what's certain, what's at the core of Jesus' question really is simple. He wants to know how much Peter loves him. That's the core of his question. And so think about this. In this moment where if I was Peter, I would be wondering, how does Jesus feel about me now? Jesus completely turns the table. He completely flips the script and says, you know what, Peter? I want to talk about how you 
feel about me? Isn't that profound? Isn't that disarming that the creator would ask the creation, how do you feel about me? Especially after all that had transpired. And so I want to begin with this. This is my first observation. There's a better question. And Jesus is raising the better question. And the question is not, how does God feel about us? This is the question we should all be wrestling with. How do we feel about God? That's the better question. Why? Because the question of how God feels about about us has already been answered. For those of us who have accepted Jesus, who believe in Jesus, we look at his life, death, and resurrection. That is God's final statement of how he feels about humanity. He loves us. Enough to offer his son on our behalf. And so we can come to a sure conclusion about how God feels about us in the life of Jesus. So let's get past that and let's ask the question that Jesus wants to talk about after breakfast. How do you feel about him? Do you see that? And so how does Peter answer? He answers this way. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And if we read it in our simple English, we would think that's a pretty straightforward answer, that it's a simple, simple yes, I love you. But you see, the, those that are able to study the original language have pointed out that there's actually two different words for love that's being used that totally changes this conversation. And so the response is not as simple as our English translation allows us to understand. Because Jesus is using a specific type of word for love. It's agapeo. And this word, agapeo, it's the verb form of the noun agape, which we know um, means unconditional, sacrificial love. And it's most translated as unconditional love. It's the kind of love that God gives, agapeo. That is the word that Jesus is using, but Peter responds with this other form of love called phileo, which means to be a friend or more easily translated as brotherly love. It describes an affectionate friendship, but it is not unconditional, nor is it the highest form of love. And anyone in the room who's had a sibling or a close cousin understands this word. Because we love our siblings, but not unconditionally. (laughs) I'll be the first to admit this. I want to introduce you to one of my brothers. His name is Edgar, and we have pictures of Edgar. Edgar and I are closest in age in our siblings. It's six of us. And so naturally, we grew up playing together for most of our lives. We had similar interests. We even went to the same college. We dormed together. We got our first apartment together. And I would never admit to him um, in his face this, that um, at an early age, he was a bit of a role model to me. But I couldn't admit that to him. (laughs) I mean, come on. Let's see one final picture. I don't have to explain why I cannot agapeo Edgar. (laughs) I could only phileo him. Believe me, I've tried. And this week has been harder than ever. 
You should see the text messages I have on my phone to prove it. Right? And so this back and forth with Jesus and Peter, it can be translated like this. Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me unconditionally, sacrificially? And Peter responds, Jesus, you know I love you like a friend, but not unconditionally. And so Peter's answer, it demonstrates two things. The first, the hard realization that he was not yet capable of loving Jesus in a selfless way like Jesus loved him. Do you see that? But also, it shows that he's discovered that Jesus knows him better than he even knows himself. And that is a gift. The scary gift, but it is a gift. And so all in all, what we see here, Peter, in becoming less boastful, more honest, and better measured in his responses to Jesus. Do you see that? But yet, this doesn't keep Jesus from commanding Peter with this response. Then feed my lambs. And we're going to see that Jesus gives a similar response to all three questions. The words slightly change. But there's one word that never changes, and that's the word my. Because although Peter is confessing to this lesser form of love, he's confessing to Allah, uh, uh, phileo, Jesus still is entrusting him with something extremely important. And what, that, what is that? What is important to Jesus? His people, his followers, his children. And so think about this. Although Peter is confessing to a limited love, Jesus' response, his command is, I am entrusting you Still, with something very precious, my church, my people, care for them. And so this is my second observation. Our call to love others is not dependent on our ability to love perfectly. And so I don't know if anyone's trying to make this claim, but I think most of us would agree today that we cannot love perfectly. And yet that still isn't the, the, the qualification for us to love others. And so it could be said this way. Jesus picked Peter despite of Peter. And I want to say here to, the, to you today that Jesus picks us despite of us. And that's good news. Because Jesus knows that we are incapable of loving the way he loves, yet that doesn't disqualify us from being commanded to love others. And so the conversation continues where Jesus repeats this question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And again, in the second question, Jesus uses the word agapeo, and again, in a second response, Peter uses the word phileo. But still, that doesn't keep Jesus from commanding Peter to care for his people. And then we get to the third question. And there's a little extra detail that's important to pay attention to. And that's this. In verse 17, 
A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it says this, Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And so there's debate as to why this third question would bring this kind of response or feeling to Peter. Why would he be hurt? Well, I think many of us would probably immediately think of the fact that the third question must have reminded him of the three denials. And that was still a place of shame. That was still a place that Peter had yet to heal from. So that could very well be the case that's happening. But we also know, given the study of the original language, that in this third question, Jesus no longer is using the word agapeo. In this third question, Jesus asked Peter, do you phileo me? So you can begin to think about how that made Peter feel. That in this third question, it seems that Jesus is lowering the bar of expectation. And how difficult that must have been to consider that because of Peter's response to Jesus, his proven track record of not being able to love him enough, that in some way, for some reason, Jesus is now having to lower the bar in their relationship. And so that could have brought Peter sorrow. But one thing it did definitely do is it taught Peter this, that we are unable to match the love God has for us. Our love It just simply doesn't compare to God. He loves us more. He loves us completely. He loves us perfectly. He loves us sacrificially. He loves us unconditionally. And so Peter had to learn the hard way that he can't love God enough to deserve his love. That we can't love God enough to demand his love. Or we can't love God enough to change his love. And that is one of the truths of the Bible. And I want to suggest to you that what Jesus was doing in this moment was he wasn't lowering the bar in his relationship with Peter. He simply was making it possible for Peter to answer the call. Jesus was saying, I will start where you are at. Think about that. Peter, you're right. I know you. You cannot love me the way I love you, but whatever love you have to give today, I want to start there. Here's your command. Love others. And so I want to suggest to you, based on the study of God's word here this morning, that God can start wherever you are. If you are coming here today and you would say, hey, I have not loved God the way I know I should. I have held back. I have betrayed. I have, um, I have manipulated. I have lied. Whatever you would say describe your level of love for God, I'm here to tell you that God is the God of grace and he meets you where you are at. He's saying, whatever love you can give today, that'll work for me. Isn't that incredible? 
that Jesus would give his life and still invite us into relationship. We've been the recipients of his mercy. And so Peter's final response uh, is this, Lord, you know everything, you know that I love you. And I just want to emphasize this, this gift that Peter receives in this encounter that he now is fully convinced that he's not going to hide anything from Jesus, that he's not going to be able to pretend in front of Jesus. And so he must have said, you knew that I would fail you when you first invited me to follow you. You knew that I would deny you. You knew that I would fall asleep in the garden. You knew that I would react the way I reacted when you got uh, arrested. You knew that on this day, on this beach, my love for you would not be enough. Why? Because Jesus, you know everything. And so think about the things in your life where you said, man, I really dropped the ball on that one. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew you would go there. Jesus knew you would slip up. And it still doesn't stop him from inviting you into relationship, from giving you this precious command to love others. And so I believe what we have here is Peter is now humbled, and that makes him ready to be used by God. And so we can all reach a place of humility. We now reach the place where we can be invited into God's work. Isn't that incredible? So Jesus says a third time, feed my sheep. And so I want to end with a few thoughts here. The first one is this, don't let your limited love limit God's calling on your life. Now, you may be like Peter and you've already discovered your limits to how you love God and others. Well, welcome to the club. We are not followers of Christ because we love perfectly. We follow Christ because he loves perfectly. Amen? We know that our love will be imperfect, but God invites us into his work anyways. It's been said that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the calls, the called. And that has been my experience. For most of my life, I've always asked myself, why me, God? Why would you choose me? And I have found that it's because of men like me that God can get the most glory out of. <laughs> right? That didn't, that, didn't, that didn't mean to sound that, that much of a joke, but I guess it landed. <laughs> I was maybe as sincere as I've been all morning, but uh, I'll take it. I'll take, I'll take the humor. And so I want to encourage you today. Don't let your past failures keep you from a present obedience. God is calling you into something today, this week. He's, he's calling you into his work, and um, you can't clean yourself up enough to get ready to follow God in those areas. He's calling you as you are. He's saying, I know the condition of your heart. I know the condition of your mind. And yet I still am calling you into relationship. So I invite you to say yes to that. And then the last thing is love for Jesus is expressed in our actions of love towards it, others. And this is the simple Jesus message. We say it all the time here at Evergreen. 
the greatest command is to love God and love people. So let me just remind you, we cannot say we love Jesus and not love the people he puts in our life. That's just how we prove it. And it's clear here. He says, do you love me? Here's how you're going to show that. Love my people. And that's the privilege that you and I have. We get to love people imperfectly while they're being imperfect. We get to show grace towards their flaws. We get to be patient. We get to be kind. We get to show ourselves grace and kind in the process. So I want to invite you to those things today. And consider with me as we um, take communion together, I want to invite you to do that as well. And if you're watching online, I want to invite you into this moment as well. I want to give us a moment here in communion. So we consider the bread. A few thoughts come to mind. In Jewish culture, we know that to share a meal with someone meant that you accepted that person. It was a big deal. And here was Jesus with these very flawed men who needed constant reminders, who goofed up a whole bunch. And here he was on this early morning having a breakfast with them around a fire and essentially saying, I accept you. You haven't done anything but doubted and questioned and had the delayed disobedience because you were supposed to be in Galilee much sooner. But he says, I accept you. I'm going to have this meal with you. And so I think about the bread, how we come together around a table around Jesus, and it's because he made the way for us, because he sacrificed his body on our behalf. He accepted us before we can accept him. So I want to invite you to take the bread with that heart of gratitude. And as we hold the cup, I want to remind us that our sins didn't just disappear. It wasn't like God just all of a sudden said, yeah, you know, it doesn't really matter that you've gone against my will. No, our sins had to be paid for. There was a cost. And we know that that cost was the life that Jesus gave and the blood that he shed now offers forgiveness for you and I. And so because of Jesus, we now can approach God with confidence without shame and have a relationship with him and when he looks upon us he doesn't see all our mess ups he sees the perfect life that Jesus lived and that's because of his blood so I invite you to take the blood with me let's pray together 
Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the moments that we get to share. We thank you that we get to reflect on what you've done and what you're currently doing. Lord, I pray that this message would be for someone, someone who woke up today and was like Peter that morning and just just honest about where they were in relationship to you, honest about their love for you, honest about things that are holding them back. Lord, you just want an honest heart. And my prayer for that person and for myself and for those of us watching online that we would see your grace all over our lives. But we would see that Despite of us, you're still calling us into relationship, into this adventure of loving other people, God, that we would not sit ourselves out, we would not disqualify ourselves, but instead, we would, with grateful hearts, say yes to living for you, to learning from you, to being transformed by your love. God, may we not remain the same. May we not leave here um, with the same heart and mind, but help us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you've made a way and made it possible. We thank you that you love us unconditionally. We celebrate that love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Church. We get to